it's such a sort of vital, vibrant sort of institution that has got an amazing sort of history. But I think if we can keep it alive, it'll have an amazing future that's so important. That's the actress, Maxine Peake, at a meeting of several hundred campaigners this week who've gathered to try to save the endangered Oldham Coliseum. But what are their chances? This is the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. Hello there, welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from The Mill with me, Daryl Morris, and The Mill's editor, uh, Yoshi Herman. Hello there, Yoshi. Hi, how's it going? Yes, very well, sir, thank you. Um, How are you? Good. I'm at my mum's house, so I hope the sound is the sound okay. Are you hearing me okay? The sound is great for 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 a mum's house. The sound is brilliant. Good, it's good, lovely. Good. Um, lots of love to your mum. Um, a lot to get through this week, um, including the remarkable story in the Observer over the weekend, Yoshi, about the asylum seeker children who are being exploited by crime gangs in the Cheatham Hill area of Manchester. Lots of conversation about these these, these children who've sort of, sort of effectively gone missing from uh, the asylum hotels and from the asylum system as they've arrived here in the United Kingdom. And it could be Cheatham Hill and Counterfeit Alley, where some of them are turning up. We'll come to that in a moment. Firstly, I think we're just a little bit of business. Uh, because last week's episode from the Manchester Museum, Yoshi, the newly reopened Manchester Museum, was our uh, our biggest. Not not not. We're not wanting to sort of slap ourselves too hard on the back, back are we, Yoshi? But it was our biggest episode ever from Manchester Museum, which probably tells us the keen interest in that new establishment and its reopening. Yeah, because I was a bit worried that we were doing too much on it. You know, we did a big weekend read. We previewed it a lot. We did that special episode from the museum. And um, and then I when I when I saw like the New York Times had covered it, and then when I saw that we got our record listeners um on that episode, I, I guess it it was a vindication of that yeah, a lot of people seemed to care about it, didn't they? But also it was probably nice for us to do an episode from somewhere, like not just from the studio or on a call, but actually live from somewhere so maybe we should try and do that more often like if if the listeners have suggestions of of where we should do that next i think we would be all ears wouldn't we yeah absolutely for sure yeah um you know what to do let us know um and also i did see some tweets over the weekend from esme ward uh, who is the director of manchester museum of course of the queues the lines of people uh, mm. who were waiting to get into the manchester museum and how emotional that made her and you could imagine right after all of the blood sweat and tears that she will have uh, put into the renovation of Manchester Museum, uh, you can imagine that she is incredibly emotional to see people queuing up uh, outside there. So if you haven't yet already, uh, really worth getting down to have a look at the newly reopened Manchester Museum. Um, also, just one more bit of business, Yoshi, before we get into the um, into this week's news. There is a members club event. Am I right in thinking maybe it's one of the, is this the first members Mill members club event on the 30th of March? Yeah, we've had two Mill members get togethers before. One was like ah, a Christmas, Christmas carol concert. One was a birthday. But I think this is the first one it was like a members club where we're going to do a regular, you know, session. Yeah. Um, and it's actually actually selling out really fast. There, I think there are only about 20 tickets left for it um, out of like 85 or something. So this is with Andy Spinoza, whose new book is out. He was one of the founders of City Life. Um, so I'm going to be interviewing him. We're going to have some of our writers and editors talking about stories they're working on, um, chance to meet other members and that kind of thing. So if you're a mill member, if you're a paying member, just go into the last members edition, the Tuesday one or the, the one last Friday, uh, click on the link, 
uh, the ticket link and and get your ticket before they sell out because they're selling out remarkably fast. It's 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 actually a you know it's more than a month until the event, but they're 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 going to sell out in the next few days. I think. Brilliant. Okay. Do I have to buy a ticket or do I just get to come? You have to buy a ticket. Oh, sure. do I? Okay. And Fair you enough. Have pay, you have to pay more for yours. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Uh, consider it done. Um, okay. March 30th. See you there. Looking forward to that. Let's get into this week's news then, Yoshi. And we'll start in Oldham, I think, where, uh, which has, of course, been the scene of a story that we've been following very, very closely around Oldham Coliseum. Uh, this week, 400 campaigners gathered at the Coliseum, arguing for Arts Council and Oldham Council to step in to save the theatre. It is, of course, as we've been considering in recent weeks, uh, proposed that it'll close its doors at the end of March. Um, where are we up to this week on this story, Yoshi? So as you say, there was this big public meeting. And I think the the name that got quoted by most of the media outlets is Maxine Peake, um, who's, a, who's obviously a great actor. Um, and she's one of the many people who's trying to save the Coliseum. And this big public meeting was organized by the trade union for the, for the industry equity. Um, and the argument from a lot of the people there, I wasn't there, but I've, I've read some of the reports is the argument is that, look, this is a real community asset. We can't let it go. This offers opportunities to so many young people who want to get into acting. The argument from the arts council about why it stopped the funding, as we know from a recent weekend read by Molly about this, is that they don't think it's the best use of public money because the building is in such bad shape. So there's a quote from them saying, as guardians of public money, we could not invest in an organisation which we assess to be such a high risk. And as you'll know from reading Molly's piece, there are like questions about the governance of the theatre. There are questions about why there have been so many chief executives um, in the past five or six years. And there are major questions about what happens next. Why? Because this building is, according to a lot of people involved, beyond repair. It would take an enormous investment to repair it. So everyone knows they need a new building. Um, the councils this week... Um, unveiled these plans for a new theatre building in the old uh, post office in Quaker Meeting House on Union Street in Oldham, um, which could open in 2026, but it hasn't been given planning yet. Um, it's clearly very early stages. And the council has also said it is going to take this money. You remember there's this chunk of money, 1.8 million, that's going to Oldham for culture, but it's not for the Coliseum, which feels like a very pointed step from the Arts Council. They are going to accept that. So it's a bit of a weird situation because when you look at the press release that they've issued about the new theatre, the press images show it with the name Coliseum on it, but there aren't many mentions of the Coliseum apart from that. So there's a bit of a suggestion there maybe that the new theatre could be not the Coliseum or, or, or that the company that is the Coliseum might stop and then Oldham will start a new theatre. So I, I'm not 100% clear on that. I don't actually think they are 100% clear on that. Um, but a lot of people are going to be really unhappy if, as expected, the Coliseum as a sort of organisation, as in a company, and in the current building closes um, at the end of next month. And for a few years, at least, there's nothing to replace it. Okay. Uh, we've been hearing from the council. There was, there was an interesting tweet from um, Sean Fielding yesterday, who's the, uh, who's the former... 
uh, leader of Oldham Council, of course. And uh, he tweeted saying that he was disappointed how many media outlets were, as he describes it, lazily blaming the closure on Oldham Council. Uh, they should know better. While getting a new theatre over the line sooner may have helped, it is the withdrawal of uh, the um, of the Arts Council funding that is responsible. So a bit of a pushback there and, and, and you know, people suggesting, because I think I've some, you know, fingers sort of being pointed towards even his time in, in the council and um and and perhaps not getting this new theater over the line we've heard from the current leader of Oldham council as well haven't we this week yeah so the current leader is called amanda chatterton and she said like nearly everyone else in Oldham, i was devastated to hear the coliseum proposes to close the doors for good this makes it all the more important that our plans for a new theater continue at pace and we hope we do still hope there can be a role for the Coliseum in this future. So that's quite vague, isn't it? Mm. That's not saying, and the new Coliseum is going to open. It's saying we hope that the Coliseum could play some role in whatever we're doing in the future. So you do wonder whether there's an issue with this particular company, this particular organisation that people aren't quite sort of voicing in public. Yeah, um, okay. But well, I, I, guess, I guess after this closure itself... Um, we might get a little bit more about that. Okay, let's move to Cheatham Hill, where an investigation by The Observer has revealed that missing asylum seeker children have been exploited by organised crime gangs in Counterfeit Alley in the area after being kidnapped from hotels that have been run by the Home Office. Uh, this is a story that's had quite a lot of attention, hasn't it? Uh, perhaps not as much as it deserves, uh, some quarters would argue, but there has been some national attention about these children that have gone missing from asylum hotels. And one of the big questions is, where are they? Where have they ended up? And one of the answers is Cheatham Hill. Yeah, apparently it is. This was quite a big story in The Observer. As we know, unaccompanied children who arrive in the UK via small boats on the channel, they sometimes remain in contact with the trafficking gangs who got them here. And there's a suggestion in this story that it could be because of the costs, right? So crossing the channel via a small boat costs a lot, 10 grand, 20 grand. And... The, uh, the suggestion of this story is that kidnapping and recruiting children to work in the drugs trade is basically used as a way of getting them to pay off any debt they have. So, you know, there's a quote here in the story from Neil Blackwood, the Greater Manchester Police Superintendent, leading this Operation Vulcan that we talked about before, this operation to clean up, um, you know, uh, Counterfeit Alley. Um, he said... Large numbers go missing en masse, 20 to 30 Afghans in one go, um, kids too. Where are they going? They are brought to Cheatham Hill, scooped up by criminal enterprises and put to work. Um, so the, apparently the, the force is investigating a case of two asylum seekers from the Middle East, aged 13 and 14, who are coerced into selling drugs in Manchester, for example. I guess until a couple of these cases actually came to trial, you wouldn't, 100% not what's going on. It's it's a little, the story was interesting, but it was also quite a lot of like the police are saying this, you know, rather than that there's a, a, there's a ton of evidence of it happening on a large scale. Um, but yeah, definitely a story that caught the eye and I'm sure we can update on it um, if, if, if something does come to trial, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, uh, since we were last together, Yoshi, the, uh, the, the, the case of missing Nicola Bully uh, reached its conclusion and not the conclusion that, anybody was hoping for police identified a body that was found in the river wire as hers yeah um that 
we, we talked about this a couple I think a couple of weeks ago in relation to the kind of circus that had come around the case or the circus that had arrived in this bit of Lancashire of the case but this was the case itself you know um, she'd gone missing they'd been searching the river a lot the police have been clear that they always thought she would have ended up in the river and I think all these kind of online conspiracy theorists that you were referring to they were all going off the assumption that the police were wrong and you know eventually very sadly her body was found um the police you know the police have taken a lot of criticism for the way they communicated um and 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 the way that they released very sensitive personal information but it seems like their initial instinct of what had happened was correct um and, and you know you you actually were writing a story for the mail about all the circus around the case which you know and i think i think that is still a story but do you what we when you found out that a body had been found, do you you you've obviously been looking into this case quite a lot. Do you remember how you felt about that? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, clearly, it's clearly very sad, actually. First and foremost, and just deeply distressing for the family and for all those people who, understandably, even at the darkest depths of this story and and their darkest hours, will will no doubt have held on to this tiny shred of hope that maybe she mm. was gonna turn up again i guess one of the you know one of the one of the consequences of the fact that there were there was absolutely no sign of her whatsoever police no sign of her no sign of third party involvement no sign of a struggle no sign of her leaving the site no real sign of her going into the water in spite of that being her their, their hypothesis that we know about in terms of the information we've got i suppose um you know, all of that will have led the family to to, to just holding on to that tiny little glimmer on the horizon that maybe one day she would turn and clearly that that ended um at the weekend um you know oh God, i mean there's a lot to say about this isn't there and uh and maybe we will kind of digest it in the fullness of that story when when the time is right to publish it um and and, and perhaps take a look back over the, the twists and turns that this case has covered because yeah. specifically there was this criticism of the media yeah um, which i've been thinking about because the family criticized the media not i think they 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 singled out ITV or perhaps ITN and Sky for yeah. kind of calling them when they'd asked not to be called. But I think there was a broader criticism of the media there about it's, how it's been covered. There was a criticism of people on social media as well, but there was a there was a media criticism, and that's where I think you know um, it would be interesting to have a piece that um, examines that a little bit because there's yeah, been, there's been kind of clickbait. There's been people really exploiting it for web traffic there's been tv people mm. being pretty outlandish in the way they behave um and you know there's this a kind of mark williams thomas standing by the riverside saying look i just think the the partner needs to come out and give a press conference sort of thing a little bit nudge nudge wink wink so um yeah maybe may, maybe not one for us to 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 get into now but definitely i think there would be a piece of that wouldn't there yeah, and I think one thing that I probably would say is so I re I reflected in my uh, in the piece in the work that I did for for the Times on this about this 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 notion of kind of grief junkies, right? So my the the reason that I went to Saint Michael's and Wyatt and, and the story that I kind of worked on was this what was a subplot which has kind of become a main part of the story, which is the 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 the, the people around the edges, the TikTok sleuths and the online mm. detectives, who were some of them speculated online, some of them literally traveling to St. Michael and Wyatt to have a look and to, to kind of make content around it. And and 
this this accusation, not just of that, but also of grief junkies, people who sort of turn up at the scene and feel compelled to go to the scene of a crime or a disappearance. And I kind of got into all all of the really complicated, complex reasons that people do that. It's not it's just it's not as simple as it seems. Um, and there are lots of really complicated reasons that people do that, as we discussed on a couple of podcasts, a couple of episodes ago. One of the things that really sticks with me and perhaps is relevant to to the to the way this story is concluded is this notion that that we are all to a degree grief junkies. One of the girls, one of the women who I kind of put that accusation to, pointed up at the cameras and said, "Well, aren't aren't all those people grief junkies as well?" Mm-hmm. And I think there's, I think you know, I reflected in the piece. I think there's probably a truth in that, isn't it? You know, why was I there? Even I'd, I'd defend that point, but. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 family were clearly eventually extremely frustrated. And I think there's this really difficult catch-22 for them, isn't there, where in the, in the case of a missing person, it's in their interest that there is as much media attention on the story as possible um, for obvious reasons. And they obviously wanted to try to keep the story alive, but then clearly in the instances that, that were referenced in that statement afterwards, lines were crossed. I think there's one problem, there's one bit that I think I would that I think deserves a bit of clarity, which is that, you know, the, 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 in the commentary after that statement, and I'm not sure the statement was quite quite as clear as it could have been. And I think, mm. I do think Lancashire Police have got a few questions to answer around the way that they've handled this. And I think one of those questions is, should that statement have been released in that way in full? Should there perhaps somebody, somebody there been somebody, a safeguarding operation in Lancashire Police that perhaps tweaks that statement or, you know, explains how the family can get their points across? Because one of the things that I think was conflated was this was social media and media because you won't f- actually find i mean I've, i'm yet to see or be presented with evidence of the media as in the mainstream media outlets speculating about the husband for example whereas that's something that clearly happened on the wild west of social media right and of, of the internet so i think there's perhaps a little bit of clarity needed around that element but clearly the family feel like the media overstepped the mark and I think there were a few themes in this story for us to untangle, aren't there, in the fullness of time? Yeah, definitely. No, I think you're right. There's a distinction is required there. But I think you've also got to remember, like I watched a, a, a video posted by the Mail Online where Mark Williams Thomas was asked a bunch of questions. And one of his answers was sort of like, look, let's have some media clarity here and get the get the partner out. And I just thought, well, yeah, you that sounds like a comment about sort of media strategy, but it also kind of signals to people who are suspicious of the partner that um you know that they're, they're right to be so or something so i i think i i don't think it was entirely just social media whether some of the mistakes were made but yeah it's definitely um an interesting one for further further writing yeah and for now of course our thoughts are with the family who are going through hell i'm sure and grieving at yeah. the moment um, uh, I suppose the dust needs to settle for them, doesn't it? Before those, um, mm. before those questions properly start to be asked. Mm. Okay. Um, elsewhere this week, uh, you might have seen in the news uh, today, in fact, that the government have released details of a white paper on football governance, something that Greater Manchester clubs and fan groups have been contributing to a lot, Yoshi, with Barry and Bolton and Oldham and Wigan and Macclesfield uh, feeling the sharp end of bad ownership over the years. Yeah, exactly. So, Daryl, but given that you know much more about football governance than me, I'm going to kind of throw this back to you in a sec. But so there's a, an idea here of creating an independent regulator um, and of blocking English clubs from join, joining breakaway competitions. So we all remember the um, hoo-ha over the European Super League. Um, 
preventing repeats of financial failings. I mean, that seems like a really hard one because, you know, really working out whether whether an owner comes in and they buy Barry or an owner comes in and they buy Rochdale, w- working out if they are going to be the right owner, if that you know if they're going to be a charlatan and if they're going to let the club run into trouble. That seems like a really difficult one. Um, so, you know, that what's being suggested is, is is creating a more stringent owners and directors test uh, to prevent to protect clubs and fans, uh, more fan representation um, in in a club, so that the owners can't do stuff like changing the name or the badge. Was it Cardiff where the guy tried to change their colour from blue to red because he was from a country where red was in the flag or something? I remember that right. Yeah, that's right. It might have been the other way around, but yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. He was a Malaysian owner, wasn't he? And wanted to kind of bring it in line with national colours, yeah. That was it. Mm. Um, and, and then also there's a suggestion around creating fairer distribution of, of funds, um, you know, down the pyramid from the Premier League. So, look, I um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not massively clued up on, on football governance, probably because I support United and it's kind of... Um, it tends to be more in the lower leagues, uh, League One, League Two, where you get the really bad issues where like an owner comes in and then just runs the club into the ground and they lose their ground and then the club closes or whatever. Although obviously United has had the Glazers, which which has been a nightmare in a different way. Um, you, you, what do you make of it, all this, Darren? What's your first sort of impression? Well, my, my first impression, so well, I, I'll put it in context. So I'm, a, I'm a Bolton fan, obviously, as I mentioned quite a lot. I don't like to talk about it, actually. Uh, but fan. And we've been right at the sharp end of this. We, mm. you'll, you'll remember a couple of years ago, there was that dramatic moment where Bolton and Berry uh, both had the same deadline from the EFL to get mm. a deal done on their ownership or else they would be expelled from the league. Uh, for Berry, um, they were expelled from the league and they are no more. And uh, and we just about scraped through. And so, you know, that could have, that could have been our fate as well. So, you know, two neighbouring clubs... Uh, you know, right, right up against it, and right at the sharp end of the story. And I think that anything, I think, I think the main thing to say is there are. It's quite vague at the moment. This, right? You know, a new, a new owners and directors test. Uh, okay, I think that's clearly very welcome. You know, one of the problems with football for a long time has been that it is kind of attracted because it's been a bit of a wild west of a business, and there's a huge amount of money in it, and there are opportunities to make a huge amount of money out of it without a hu- without um, particularly stringent regulation and governance. Uh, it has attracted people, it has attracted bad characters and as, as an industry. And so clearly a, a director's, there, there is already a director's test, by the way. Um, directors have to fill a certain, a, certain, a certain criteria. I think there's probably a a, a drive to try to strengthen that, but what does that really mean? You know, what, 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 what I think we are yet to kind of figure out what exactly that would look like. The Premier League are very concerned about this because the Premier League is the is the goose that lays the golden egg. It is a world leader in football. It is by far and away the richest, most popular league. It's perhaps one of the one of one of our countries, one of the United Kingdom's, um, uh, or certainly England's uh, greatest exports. Mm. You know, it's it's um, it's uh, it's an of enormous value, and the Premier League wants to be able to continue to compete. Obviously, that's always the argument, isn't it, against any kind of regulation? Is that we want to be able to compete uh, internationally and international stage? So I think there's a bit of a an issue for the Premier League around that, and obviously, they've recently taken these really harsh this harsh line against Manchester City, which is linked to this story. I think the big question that remains to be asked is. 
does will this stop what happened to Berry and Bolton and Oldham, by the way, and Wigan mm-hmm. and Macclesfield, you know, several Greater Manchester clubs that have mm. felt the sharp end of this. Will these regulations, will, will this new plan stop that happening again? You know, is there enough in here that would prevent those clubs feeling the fate that they did? Mm. Um, I spoke to Maggie Tetlow, who is, full disclosure, a friend of mine. She is uh, one of the directors at the Bolton Wanderers Supporters Trust, an organisation that was set up at the time of the turmoil around Bolton to try to give exactly what this white paper suggests, fan voice and fan representation at the club and in the game. They've been very heavily involved in this consultation. They've been working with the government, working with Tracy Crouch to try to bring this proposal together. And I asked uh, that question. I asked, would these proposals, as she understand it, would they prevent what uh, happening to Bolton? What happened? Um, well, there would be um, a stronger owners and directors test um, that would obviously do a better job in vetting our prospective owners than was ever in place before. I mean, the the, the measures that are in place previously only ever paid lip service to it because at the end of the day, we saw that there were numerous rogue owners up and down the country. So whatever test was in place was clearly not fit for purpose. So having an independent regulator um, will stamp that out. Um, And what, why, why is this so important? Um, well, because as we've seen, the we, you know we we're having rogue we were historically had rogue owners owning our clubs, and um, you know leading to situations where clubs like our close neighbour Berry um, ceased to exist, like we did on the same day. We were both in danger of of, of um, completely disappearing. Um, we survived on the, literally on the eleventh hour, and Berry unfortunately. Um, uh, they disappeared and it's just so, so sad and we just don't want those things to happen and and it's really important for the, the clubs at the lower end of the of the, the leagues but it's important at, uh, at the top end as well because, you know, we need to, we need to uh, for example, the um, Super League that was proposed it took fan revolt to really to get that overturned there was such a strength of feeling that, that, that fans didn't want this to happen and you know that was that was um, rightly stamped out. So you know that it's there's there's a lot of things that have happened, and it was just literally, the, it was football was getting so far away from from the fans that it was becoming unsustainable. Now that it's going to be very difficult to break that down. We do have the biggest league in the world in in English football, but we can't allow it to just career completely out of control and like i say it's it, it because of how big and powerful it is it's getting to the stage where the fans don't matter at all because it's not about the fans coming into the stadium it's about the you know the um broadcasting rights etc cetera, etc cetera, sponsorship deals and it was in danger of literally becoming nothing to do with fans and all to do with money and just briefly ha- so specifically and I suppose there's some details still to be worked out, but but as specifically as we can, how would these proposals have prevented Berry going out of business? Well, because the checks would have been in place earlier and there would have been so many um, sort of hurdles and uh, alarm bells that would have would have set in motion. You see, obviously, we don't know how this is going to be set up and, and what the what the new test is going to look like. But there would have been lots of checks and balances that, that, that didn't happen previously because there wasn't an independent regulator overseeing this. It was basically the EFL 
marking their own homework. So, and now if it's in the hands of, of somebody that's independent, um, the checks will happen at an earlier stage and there will be ongoing checks as well to make sure that things are being done with integrity. Maggie Tetlow from the Bolton Wanderers Supporters Trust speaking to me earlier. Um, so I guess we will tell. We'll, we'll find out in the fullness of time. Um, okay, let's move on to Haywood and Middleton, a marginal seat. Yoshi, uh, a bit of politics. We love the rough and tumble of a bit of local politics. What's going on there? Yeah, so we've been talking about Bolton Northeast recently, which is one of these seats that the Conservatives took at the 2019 election that Labour wants to get back and where lots of different candidates wanted to be the Labour candidate. And there was a certain amount of disquiet about how the situ- how the, how the contest was organised, which readers of the mail will know all about. The, the, new, the next one, the, the one that's being competed for at the moment, is, as you say, Hayward and Middleton, which is in the borough of Rochdale. And again, you've got a, a situation where certain big people who wanted it weren't able to get it. So senior Rochdale councillors like John Blundell and Danny Meredith, they were definitely eyeing this seat. Um, The mill has been told that due to sort of past mishaps on both of their parts, they were sort of encouraged not to, um, not to apply or told that they they wouldn't be successful. Um, Now the selection race strangely kind of looks like a proxy battle between those two men. So you've got, Meredith is backing a young councillor called Liam O'Rourke and Blundell is backing his wife, Elsie Blundell. So she's also a councillor and she's running for this. So if you look at their Twitter accounts, that, that, that's who these two, these two figures are, are behind. I'm told that O'Rourke is probably the favourite because local members probably don't love the idea of, um, you know, w- one minute we think we're going to get one candidate and then we get his wife. Um, which isn't to say that Elsie Blundell isn't a very um, a talented candidate. I actually know uh, very little about, about her candidacy, but I'm told locally that there's a little bit of disquiet about it and, um, and O'Rourke is, is said to be the person. And the reason this matters is these are the kind of seats that come the next general election we're going to be talking a lot about. These are the kind of seats that are like traditionally Labour, then they went to the Conservatives and Labour's really, really going to be pushing. So whether it's Elsie um, or, or uh, Elsie Blundell um, or, or Liam O'Rourke. Th- these are probably people we'll be speaking to on the podcast come come the next election. Um, and in a good Labour election, a good Labour year, you'd expect a seat like this probably to go back to, to Labour. Okay. Uh, by the way, Keir Starmer's in Manchester today, as we record on Thursday. Uh He'll be making a speech a little bit later on uh, after we've recorded, unfortunately, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of detail from that that's worth having a look at. Um, Salt in Manchester uh, is, um, well, it's, it's, a, it's, explain this one to us just because it's, it's a, Salt is a sort of very well established uh, publishing uh, organization, publishing house, quite prestigious, really, and they're opening a office in Manchester. Yeah, it seems like they're opening their first physical office and they've chosen Manchester, which seems like a really good sign. I asked Sophie about this because she knows a lot about books and publishing in that whole industry and she said salt is like a really legit publisher and they have made this decision on the back of i'm not saying it's got anything to do with this but it follows some of the big publishing houses like hachette and um and harper um harper north opening uh, manchester operations um people might remember a couple of pieces that sophie wrote about those moves kind of questioning whether the big publishing houses were really committing proper resource to the north um, in the end, it looked like they, they really did. 
Um, Harper North have have a have an operation. Hachette have an office in 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 Manchester. So yeah, it's interesting that Manchester is perhaps becoming a bit of a place that publishers want to be based, which would be a good thing because traditionally getting a book publisher has involved going down and meeting people in London and and having a very sort of um, the, 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 it's an industry that's had a very London sort of focused um, centre, I think. And just a side point, by the way, the studio that I'm currently in right now uh, is the studio that Harper North used to record their audiobooks. So yeah, didn't didn't we try to persuade them to let us interview uh, Molly May, the um, oh yes, the, the influencer when she was doing her thing? And I, I don't think they gave us the access we we wanted. They didn't, did they? They didn't. Did they? Did they know who we are, Yoshi? They don't no, know I who don't, we are, do they? I don't think they do. We, even though we use the same studio. Exactly. Um, okay. And uh, just finally, another mention for Bolton Wanderers, uh, if you'll allow. Uh, I like to crowbar them into every opportunity uh, that I get. So, uh, but the, uh, this one I'm sort of slightly conflicted about because there's uh, because we Bolton Wanderers have gone viral uh, this week, Yoshi. Not for I don't know. Maybe it is for a good reason. What what what's happened? No, you tell me what's happened. I don't know what's happened. They've oh. the, the stadium when I grew well, when I first was getting into football, it was known as the Reebok. Is it known as the Reebok Arena or the Reebok Stadium? Reebok Stadium, yeah, yeah. So it was the Reebok Stadium, and uh, that's how I think of the Bolton Stadium. It's currently called the University of Bolton Stadium, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, yeah. and what is the new name? So they've got they've just signed the new partnership, a big five year deal, uh, the biggest deal in the club's history, apparently worth a huge amount of money to a club that needs a huge amount of money. So there's lots of celebration around this and lots of patting each other on the back. And it's with a company called, it's a, a sustainable company. They make sustainable building materials out of recycled material based in Bolton, local employer, Bolton Wanderers fan at the helm, the founder and director is a big Bolton Wanderers fan, but it's called Tough Sheet, which means that the stadium is going to be called the Tough Sheet Stadium. <laughs> So you can imagine, you can imagine uh, the raucous that, that has caused amongst football fans. How would you say that in a Bolton? I mean, I suppose you have just said it in the Bolton accent, but does it? Yeah, well, just, I, give me yeah, that in Bolton onion. Yeah, yeah, my Bolton accent's worn off a little bit, but it'd be like tough sheet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. which is, yeah, which is close to the bun, close to see, the bun. I can see the problem. I so I'm I'm looking at the photos now. So this is a, this is a company recyclable building product manufacturer okay fair enough yeah and, and actually it's a, you know what it's a, well, a couple of things there it's a brilliant company it's exactly the kind of company that a local football club like bolton wanderers who are trying to find you know who, who are who've got a new owner who are sort of re- returning from the ashes of that story that we talked about earlier around bad ownership and you know being right on the brink of collapse they've got a new owner now who is really hands-on really committed to rebuilding the relationship with the town and with the fans and making the com- making the business financially secure and sustainable and taking it into the future and it being an asset in the community you know a, clearly a money-making enterprise for the owner but also a community asset as well and having a partnership like this with this kind of company i think is exactly where bolton wanderers want to be and Mm. exactly where our local football clubs want to be and by the way i do have to say i think that the owner of this business did call it tough sheet with his tongue in his cheek uh i do think that that is i think it's a pun anyway to be honest uh, initially and and i tell you what it's got them a huge amount of attention it's got them an, an enormous amount of coverage 
coverage, coverage that they could never have, they, you know, they'd never have got if it was called Sustainable Building Materials Limited. Mm. Uh, so, um, so fair play to them. I think they've done exactly, uh, I think it's all worked out quite well for everybody involved with this story. Mm. Um, and also, just by the way, uh, last night, Bolton Wanderers getting through to the final of the Papa John's Trophy um, after a 2-0, a 2-0 victory over Accrington. So, que sera, sera. Nice. Whatever will be, will be. This is officially a Bolton uh, Bolton Wanderers podcast. <laughs> it is. I'm actually I'm actually going to record a Bolton Wanderers podcast that I do for the BBC in about in about ten minutes, and uh, I might as well I'll just repackage this and put this yeah. out. I think. Um, okay, and and very very finally, uh, Yoshi, uh, we'd like to give you a couple of uh, nods for some stuff to do around Greater Manchester and have a look at what's happening in the Mill newsroom, um, yeah. and and you're hiring. That's right. Our sister newsletters in Sheffield and Liverpool, the Tribune and the Post. They are hiring full-time reporters, which is a huge moment, actually, for them and for us. Um, Both of these roles start in April. The deadline for applications is in, I think, less than two weeks, basically in next weekend. Um, They're perfect for uh, roles for reporters, writers who are starting out in their careers. So if anyone listening to this is a journalist or they know know, young journalists who who'd be interested, um, please do go on the Tribune and the the Post um, Twitter accounts and and get more details because these roles are you know working with me working with you even so they're they're they're, they're good roles and um we we really really want great people excellent good stuff uh, okay I look forward to working with you um yoshi we also like to give some uh, a bit of a nod for some things to do around square to manchester what's going on what's on your radar for the week so the big um i think the big thing i'd recommend is there's this fundraiser for the um earthquakes for the victims of the earthquakes in syria and in turkey it's a concert at manchester cathedral um, they're playing um, Vivaldi Spring for the Four Seasons. It's Manchester Baroque. Um, I'd really recommend going on the Manchester Baroque website to book tickets for that and, and to raise money for that big cause. Um, and Molly told me it's the last chance to see um, a photography exhibition at the Whitworth uh, documenting the lives of, 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 of people in the Muslim world. Um, free talk um, from the photographer Peter Sanders and um, participants in the photos um, on Saturday at 3pm. So go on the Whitworth website for that one. Excellent. And uh, my nod for the week ahead, Marcus Brigstock is in town. He's at the Lowry on Saturday night. Very funny, but also very clever guy, Marcus Brigstock. And a couple of tickets left for that, so you might be lucky. Uh, Philosophy in pubs returns this week as well. This is something that I, uh, I'd like to try and get to these as often as I can. Uh, they happen all over the place, but in the, 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 there's a, a little place near where I live in Monton called oats and honey and philosophy and pubs next week um are asking are talking about uh, uh about altruism and whether there are any limits to it and manchester lit and phil as well while we're on the issue of philosophy are showing young plato uh for their 242nd birthday uh next week which is a film set in belfast all about thinking differently uh, so you can get tickets for that and become a member of manchester lit and phil uh, one of our previous sponsors of this podcast as well uh via their website um, okay that's it from us for this week. Don't forget as well, if you'd like more quality journalism in your inbox every week, you can subscribe to The Mill at manchestermill.co.uk. We are back in your podcast feed next week. But for now, Yoshi, thank you. Thanks. Thanks.